And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Mythbits. You made an excellent choice. Welcome to the World of Mythbits. We are your hosts, Jenna and Joe Sparks, and this is episode 104. 104. The World of Mythbits. The year was 1969. On the eastern side of the country, music fans were gearing up for one of the world's most iconic multi-day festivals. On the other side, we might find ourselves on the cusp of another event just as influential in contemporary history. And where we might find ourselves in particular is in Southern California, in the city of El Monte, where a newly graduated boy from Arroyo High School waits a night of, well, not debauchery or trouble, but something just shy of investigative purposes. Wayne Parker might have been anticipating a drive that night with a friend. He'd yet to ask permission from his mother, but surely he and his former classmate would be on their way to the city limits of Beverly Hills, only some 30 miles away in a short matter of time. What exactly were they planning on doing? How might two young boys going into the city have a devilishly good time? Perhaps they might take in a show at a famed concert venue or head to a spot on the Sunset Strip, only now beginning to harness its rock and roll legacy, where they might find themselves in the company of enigmatic peers. Wayne did, after all, look a few years his senior, as opposed to his friend who, although towering in stature, looked still quite like a freshman. But no, much to our surprise, the boys weren't going on a jaunty ride in search of a wild night, but rather to potentially sell some audio equipment. As the story goes, and they all must go somewhere, the dark deeds of the night were not at all to be perpetuated by the young graduates. Instead, a group of four fanatics, we could call them, would devour the night wreaking havoc in ways no one could have anticipated. And at the utterance of a very short phrase, this story will trigger the familiarity of that ghost that lurks in the corner of your childhood bedroom or the monster that waits for its feast under your bed. 10050 Cielo Drive. Driving through the famed hills of Los Angeles, where silver screen stars dwelled in the quietness of the city, Under the purple and orange glow between the peaks of their stylized roofs and the plethora of stars, the daunting street spiraled dangerously, skinny and winding and curving. And anyone who's driven those roads knows to proceed with caution through those treacherous, lavish lands. But the area was not unfamiliar to quite a few people that night. In approximation to what we've come to understand today, we know definitively of nine people that safely made it through those perilous, curling hills. How many more might have taken up the invitation that night? Nearly 10 or nearly 11, and even more morosely, nearly 12. If you've ever been to Southern California in the budding months of August, you know it can be sweltering. So to set the stage, it was that hot August night in Beverly Hills where Linda Kasabian, Patricia Krenwinkel, Tex Watson, and Susan Atkins climbed a fence and entered the world of the rich and famous. Could they hear the thrumming of records playing in the house? 
the laughter and giggles of its inhabitants? It was not the fancy party at the house that caused the venturers to startle, but a pair of headlights that bled into the darkness, sinking down the driveway in their leave. And headlights, as we might be able to imagine, would do well enough to startle anyone sneaking around the blackness of midnight. And as records show, it was Tex Watson who leapt from the bushes that gave himself and his three comrades cover, screaming at the blinding lights, Halt. If you've followed this tale so far, you might already know this tragic, woven story that hangs over our heads. And so, indeed, you already know that the boy behind the headlights was sliced at in the containment of his father's 66 Nash ambassador. And there's a good chance you know the boy pled for his life as he guarded himself from the blade. The violence of the gruesome slashes caused tendons to split and a wristwatch to be flung to the backseat of the vehicle. But unsatisfied with his attack with the blade, Tex produced his firing weapon and shot the youth not once, or even twice, but three times. It was Linda Kasabian who crawled over the body of the young boy and claimed the wallet that contained the evidence of his identity. And now you might put two and two together, for that vehicle with the young, now-slain driver had been leaving the property's guest house. And in that guest house, where William Gerritsen lived, the young boy had been aiming to sell some audio equipment. And you might also know that Stephen Parent was the first to die that night, because shortly after Tex, in his wretchedness, had taken Steve's short life, the group before headed up the drive, pushing Steve's car with them, and entered the house to deliver their ruin on the guests of that house, including heavily pregnant actress Sharon Tate, and all this in the name of Charles Manson. But what you do not know, try as we might to track the steps of Steve Parent, it was he who had arrived at the front door to retrieve Wayne Parker to go with him to Beverly Hills. But Wayne's mother had interjected, for reasons unclear, and denounced her son to traverse the mileage from their home to 10050 Cielo Drive. And so the rumor spread to the Parker lineage that Wayne's mother simply had a bad feeling about that night. Again, welcome to the World of Mythbits podcast, uh, episode 104. Shoo. All right. We have a lot of housekeeping this week. So um, if you will, forgive me. Uh, first things first, you may have noticed that the website had some issues this week, uh, but thanks to a certain Jaden Montoya, all of the issues have been resolved. He's a little hero. And the Halloween issue is now published and ready to be devoured. Uh, Second little piece. Uh, The time has come. And the winner of the open contract challenge has been declared. So, we would like to heartily congratulate 
Mr. Walter G. Esselman. Congratulations, sir. He is our grand prize winner for this year's Open Contract Challenge. And not only did he walk away with the title, but we'll also get to see him at PCE 2021. All right. And then we'd also, we want to also congratulate uh, our second place winner, Gabriella Balcom, and our third place winner, Christopher Bice. And um, yeah, so, I mean, major, major congratulations to you guys. I cannot even imagine the amount of work that went into your efforts. And um, they are very much respected. So, speaking of PCE, we just want to kind of keep everybody informed and in the loop. Um, And we know that, especially in California, things are rapidly changing. I mean, it's pretty much a day-by-day thing um, with COVID-19 regulations. um, And I I know that's across the country, too, but... um, just be uh, aware that, um, you know, because our biggest concern is, is you know, the vendors and attendees, everybody who is going to be a part of PCE 2021. Um, we are all, and, and the everybody behind the scenes is working super diligently to make sure that everything is perfect and uh you know, done correctly and within the standards of everybody's protection. Um, And because we just, we want to have a safe convention, you know. On that note, speaking of PCE also, uh, we are, I say we, but it's Dave, (laughs) looking for a new assistant administrator uh, for PCE. So if you do think that, that might be a good role for you. Um, you can go ahead and send any inquiries to dkmontoya at jzomon.com. Now, next bit of news. Uh, Dark Myth Publications. We have they Dark Myth Publications <laughs> has three new contracts being issued right now as well as one ebook. So the schedule is full. Um, and that's in my opinion, a really good problem to have. <laughs> um, and also there's a, a new website in the works that will have all of the Dark Myth publications available for purchase. So that's a pretty big deal. And, um, you know, I'm going to steal Stephanie's words from the uh, newsletter that was sent out earlier uh, last week or later last week. Um and I feel like this one was targeted right at me because I've been very paranoid. <laughs> if you submitted work to the Zombie Works Full Moon and Howland anthology, just know that our editor, Miss Stephanie Barty, is still going through submissions. So if you haven't heard anything back yet, don't panic. Um, I imagine that there's just tons and tons and tons of amazing stuff sent over. And then uh, last but not least, uh, this little like clue. Uh, that was at the end of the newsletter, uh, Darker Myth, which is a graphic novel, is also uh, chugging along. And uh, I'm I'm pretty excited about that. Very curious to see what exactly is happening. So yeah, so like I said, that was, that was our entire handful of um, housekeeping. And if you are not signed up to get the newsletter every month, sign up. It's really awesome. And honestly, it's written out. 
I think, much better than I can sit here and, like, breathlessly explain. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's really good uh, content. And if you just go to uh, theworldofmyth.com, you're good. You can find it right there. You'll sign up and you'll get the newsletter every month and you'll be up to date on everything that's happening. So, yeah. So what spun that tale? Growing up, um, I got to live with these stories that uh, my dad died when I was really young and a lot of what I hear, you know, from the time he died up until now, it's always like a third party kind of uh, uh, iteration. And I just, that one kind of always stuck with me um, because I am a morbid person. And um, that one just kind of like lived there. And um, I asked my aunt um, who was there that night when Steve showed up. And, um, I don't claim to pretend that this whole story was 100% true. Um, you know, but as far as I know, my dad was supposed to go with Steve parent that night. And, um, I don't know, you know, I can't ask him and, um, it is what it is, but nonetheless, I thought it was just kind of an interesting, um, relationship to something that's so infamous because you know where we live in southern california it is near impossible to escape any mention of manson's cult you know it's it's everywhere it's you know you turn around and uh there's there's something there we're not far from either of the sites of his ranches um you know even los angeles we're not very far from so um you know, and California has kind of a notorious history anyway with a lot of famous, uh, morbid people. <laughs> and so, uh, anyway, it just, I thought it was always kind of an interesting take on something that is so distant, you know, for, for most people. Um, and unfortunately you, you still have, you know, uh, people who are related to the victims or even the culprits. But, um, you know, in, in, in the morbid community, I guess you could call it, um, the deathly curious, uh, I think people, they know how to, you know, the only way we can kind of take in these stories is to separate ourselves from them because it's really easy to do. Um, we went to the Museum of Death, um, which is a fascinating place. Uh, but there was an actual entire room devoted to the Manson family. I mean, there was like a quilt on the wall that the, the women had actually uh, uh, sewn together. Um, and it was just, there was like a, a I don't know what film it was, just a documentary, like, playing on loop. And there were kids, not kids, but, like, two young adults who were just sitting in the middle of the floor, just, like, in, you know, entrenched in this, this idea of something that feels so far away, both in history and time, and also just 
in in this like empathetic kind of way and um i always think that's kind of horrible and tragic and interesting you know that's why uh i just kind of wanted to to tell that story um from a narrator's perspective and um yeah so that's kind of the the origin of that and plus i just think cults and cult-like behavior are very very fascinating um from a psychological standpoint <laughs> so you know i i find interesting sometimes when um musicians don't really like i guess quote unquote make it they turn to cults right <laughs> yeah david, imagine if that was every musician ever though you got <laughs> david crash over there right <laughs> um and then manson right because i think his whole deal with coming out of the California to begin with was to start his music career, mm -hmm. and then it kind of just went fizzled. <laughs> it kind of went in another direction. Yeah, you know. No, I think that's funny, and you know, it's it's kind of you know on on that topic and on the topic of kind of like the the psychological regard of cults and and cult leaders. Now, I would like to preface this um, with a definition. So by definition, what is a cult? According to Merriam-Webster, a cult is a religion regarded as unorthodox or spurious or a great devotion to a person, idea, object, movement, or work the object of such devotion or um, usually a small group of people characterized by such devotion. So like, you know, a cult film, cult classic, cult following, etc. Or a system of religious beliefs and ri ritual. Uh, and so on that, you know, the, the idea of what defines a cult um, and like many words today unfortunately it has taken on this meaning that is derogatory and almost always um minimizes what a cult really is and and even in a video i was watching by caitlin dowdy uh aka ask a mortician um she was explaining how um psychologists and and scholars basically say like Waco David Koresh um to call that whole thing a cult actually like it psychologically kind of sets us up to expect um basically that that they were all this like the the guilty party of something that really you know was was misinformed you know outwardly to the public and um I think that's interesting how we've kind of taken that word um and it immediately like belittles people so on that note like I said I wanted to get that out of the way I wanted to propose this idea from many many perspectives but also from a creative perspective and from a narrative perspective and from a writer's perspective, et cetera, et cetera. I was watching the new documentary about Nexium. 
Nexium is a is a cult. It was a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. Um, if you want to look it up, it truly disgusting, appalling behavior by the leader. Um, and they released this documentary, and they were explaining kind of how he he came to power, how he started rising in the ranks of this this group he was at the home of. And in discussing how he started growing in popularity, um, a certain name was brought up, and I'm not going to uh, rename that name, but basically on the cusp of um, self-help from like the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and you probably know who I'm talking about. But basically the leader of Nexium was very inspired by that kind of behavior of the self-help, um, I don't want to say guru, but the self-help uh, uh, cultivator. I think that's probably a, a better word for it. And um, in reference to that person, um, and they were also referencing like MLMs, multi-level marketing schemes and all that, it kind of got me thinking... Um, like down this, this weird wormhole, rabbit hole, uh, of my own thinking. And, um, you know, by definition, would you consider, and I pose this question humorously, would you consider self-help cultivators to be quote-unquote, successful cult leaders. That's going to depend on what you <laughs> define as successful, right? Well, so yeah. if you have a guru, we will reference them as gurus at the moment. Um, I think cultivator is a good mishmash. Yeah, right there. All right, so, okay, so, okay. So you have these cultivators then, right? And they have a mission statement up on the top of the board and their mission statement is this final goal. So whether you have mentors who are trying to help people, you know, and, and, and make people realize the best of themselves, then I guess that is successful in their own right. Yeah. Or there can take a dark turn. Um, I think it was Heaven's Gate. Mm -hmm. Heaven's Gate where they committed... The Nikes. Yeah, and... they committed mass suicide. Well, yeah. There's speculation against the whole thing. But anyways. Yeah. Um, also successful, I guess. Right? Technically. That we know of. We don't know if they reached their end goal. Well, you I know, think we it, don't know if they... I think they... in their literature, though, the literature is at the end of the world, then they do this deed and they ascend. Yeah, so now, but we don't know if they ascended. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> wouldn't that be something though? Like what if they did ascend to this other place and we're sitting here like, "Oh, look at those guys." But they're <laughs> over there. They they actually did it. Right. I you know, it's like in that regard like, you know, for all of its worth and for all of the horridness that came out of it, like I hope because like how horrible, you know, how tragic and, and appalling. But you know, on that note, uh, there was actually a book. I think it was a Chuck Palahniuk story You know that ended like that. I can't remember. Yeah, but, I mean, it is scary. But, I mean, so 
let's look at it this way. If you have someone who wants to have a list of goals, so when you join a cult, you have community, friendship, love, uh, challenging your own personal self, and uh, something else. And all of those things, all you have to change in that entire statement is in cult, change that with the self-help community. And it's the same thing, really. And not in a bad way, because we all are searching for all of those things, right? We're all searching for community. We're all searching for these relationships. We're all searching for something better than ourselves. We're all searching for ways to be better in ourselves and to do better and to have this better experience on this, this, you know, earthly realm. And this is the month of spooky. And what is spookier <laughs> than what you had just mentioned? Exactly. As targeting advertising mm-hmm. targets that exact thing. And there are certain commercials. Well, it's the story in commercials last, and certain... last month's issue or the month before that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, with the with the advertising, the jingle. Right. You know. Right. With the jingle and, and you know, uh, that's how they get sucked in MLMs too because of the greed. Well. MLMs just because well, yeah, of greed. because you're going to, but in MLM, it's the same concept. You're going to prey on potentially vulnerable people, you know. A lot of times, and this they'll flat out say, "Stay at home moms," in particular, um, you know, in modern day, and they'll you know tell them, you know, oh, you can be like the self starter. You can uh, make so much money and be self reliant. You just have to do it this way. And and how many of these MLMs? create that kind of community and eventually they get called out for it because as we realize a lot of times we learn their scams and it's horrible because it ruins people's lives i just want to plug real quick a fantastic show about that called on becoming a god in oh, central florida right? yeah okay in central florida during kirsten dunce kirsten that was dunce. amazing 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 you were hooked from the first episode it's crazy right uh I can't really say what I want to without giving a spoiler <laughs> on there, but obviously he... Alexander Skarsgård. Alexander Skarsgård, right? The male... Lead. Lead, I guess. Um, he <laughs> he has a fantastic scene in there, and it is everybody's dream who is working a 9-5 right now, mm-hmm. and it is uh, just it was beautifully done. Yeah. And it's very like Amway esque, you you know. You remember Amway, yeah. Um, which actually was also referred to well, in the exist. Nexium. Well, yeah, they, yeah, they still, still exist, exist, but uh, but that was also referred to in the the Nexium, uh, documentary, right? Because that really started, you know, burgeoning and becoming bigger, right, 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 around the same time. Um, but, but yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. But um, also, you know, if we're to take it back. Onto being successful or non-successful. Also, one case comes to mind. Um, a case back in 2009 by a uh, cultivator. You know, <laughs> um, it was uh, James Arthur Ray, and back in 2009, he was having this retreat out in Sedona, Arizona. Now, let's clear. Wait, did you clarify? Is he? He's not a. He's a cultivator. Okay. He is currently still also. Okay. Um, Ooh. 
Okay. Yeah. Go ahead before I accidentally. So, uh. He had a, what you would call, a spiritual warrior retreat. Um, he was actually trying to uh, replicate a Native American, like, way of life. Experience, yeah. Well, yeah, but the Native Americans have this way of life that they do the sweat lodge thing. Yeah, okay. Okay. He was trying to replicate that. And the issue was um, that he would charge people up to ten thousand dollars a piece to go to this retreat right and anybody who wants to find themselves and if if look you got these gurus that promise you poor people can't find themselves yeah they, <laughs> they, the point of this entire podcast <laughs> they promise you you know a definite change of way of life for 10 grand you know mm-hmm. um you can't blame anybody to pay that price if that was the Price of admission, I'm guessing. Oh. You know, um, that just I have so much to say <laughs> on that, but I'm not going to. Okay, so <laughs> okay, the 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 large issue here was that the time frame, because you know everybody remembers the recession of 2008, and things were tough, and he realized he needed a way to get cash flow. Mm -hmm. You know, people were worried about losing their homes. They didn't want to enlighten themselves, you know? So he concocts this plan about letting lower level, because he had kind of like a pyramid scheme type thing going. Mm -hmm. So he would let, he wanted lower level people to pay upwards and then they would be able to jump these levels, right? Mm -hmm. So essentially what happened was these people paid him the money and then they went to this retreat but they would fast. Mm. They would fast for like 36 hours beforehand, you know, and then they would have like a dinner in a buffet and then they would get into the tent. Now, the, the, the issue that comes at hand was we wouldn't even have known about this if, unfortunately, and, and definitely uh, my my heart goes out to the victims you know, that and their, their families, their families that passed away in this tent trying to find enlightenment. enlightenment, right? So they passed away and oh boy, you know, his fight or flight mood kicked in and oh boy took off, right? <laughs> so he took off and this is all obviously public knowledge. Hey, you type in James Arthur Ray, Google, boom, it'll pull up. He was charged with, uh, I think it was uh, three counts of negligent homicide, mm. right? So that is an unfortunate event for everybody involved. Yeah, you know. But see, it meets all of the criteria we just talked about on every end of every spectrum, right? Of both cults and self-help. Yeah, because I mean, if you're trying to help people, and that's what he. That's your intention. And his intention is to help people. And then things go wrong. You know, uh, I mean, you got to definitely feel horrible on his end, feel horrible for everybody involved. It was a tragic accident. It was a tragedy involved. Now, could have been prevented? Most definitely. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, But I think... You know, that's where you got to draw these lines, you know, it's because he paid the price 
on the three homicides and he went to prison and everything you know and then they released him um and he has to live with himself yeah okay so i mean there's there definitely has to be a line you know of compassion for the entire thing yeah. you know because it was just a, it was it was a genuinely a horrible 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 accident exactly and it's just because and it's it is it is so recent you know that yeah it, it it's very hard to mm-hmm. talk about because even like with all these other you know cult shenanigans with like manson and uh heaven's gate yeah and, they were long ago they were long enough long ago enough yeah that when something like recent like this happens, mm-hmm. then it refreshes everybody's mind, and then everybody's oh cults, you know, uh, you know. And most of our, our references for modern day cults, they're super refined, you know, like Nexium. Like if you watch that documentary, you see how like modern it is. It's not Manson, you know, uh, uh, inviting you to come stay at at a ranch, and. Um, even, even the majesty, you could call it of, uh, uh, something like Scientology. You know, if you've been to Los Angeles, you don't even have to go into the city. You can just pass through in the, on the freeway and you can see the buildings and they're gargantuan, you know, and, um, it's just it's it's really interesting to kind of pose this where you know because visually we can see the line right between uh what we can consider a cult and what we consider let's say a self-help seminar until they start looking like each other. Like I said, Nexium, they were doing these, they, they were having these, these seminars, these meetings in the same spaces that self-help seminars were being held in. And they looked exactly the same. So again, where is that line? You know, and I think that's basically kind of what I'm getting at is you know, this being October and we're talking about scary things to differentiate anymore between an actual harmful cult and a self-help community organization. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I, because I, I can't help but sit here and think that it's odd that in the Manson cases, there was no, like, real price of admission. There wasn't. But, um, you know, how many... Who's the, the most famous self-help organizations out there are the ones who become the most popular because of their seminars, because of the the price of admission. How many out there are genuinely, like sharing their all you have to do is go on Instagram and you will find influencers 
by the thousands, you know, who can operate in the same way. And I guess that's a whole other subject, not just these like self-help influencers on social media, but uh, makeup influencers. I mean, that's a whole community in and of itself. Isn't there like a, a big issue like amongst influencers and, and celebrities on, on the social media sites that they influence the way people view society exactly. and like voting and everything like that mm-hmm. kind of like i think i think there's a few celebrities it's ho- but like it's- on instagram they they put on there it's like look it's not what i think you know you shouldn't do what i do because what i do you know at least i'm hoping there's a lot more down there yeah. than, than there should be no. but then yeah the influencers it's uh you know either this cult of consumerism because they're hawking you know, uh, uh, products. And, uh, that's a whole other thing. Oh my God, this could be, like I said, such a rabbit hole, but let me go back to the original point. Um, that kind of line of separation. And I think, um, I think we can sit on this and this is going to be the best way right now to, to psychologically wrap our heads around this. Intent. If you think about it, most cults, Manson aside, let's not even bring up Manson, but most revered cults that are are infamous don't start off with bad intentions, right? Look at Jonestown. He wanted to create like this utopia, Jim Jones, this, this perfect utopia. And look how that ended. And it's horrible. Like it was, it was horrible, you know, and, and where does that intent change? Charles Manson is, is in and of himself, you know, because his intention was, uh, a helter skelter. He wanted to start a race war and and all this, obviously very violent um, stuff. You know, all of these these things that would result in violence. So on that note, was Manson successful as a leader? Because yeah, in he, that regard, yeah. he could very well. But I mean, he did he start a race war? No, that's not true. Then either. Well, like you know, I mean. He created this uh, ruin. I guess halfway there. Yeah. And, you know, he convinced people that he was their messiah, much like uh, like David Koresh. Uh, they thought he was messiah, which, you know. But uh, with Manson, you know... He, the whole horror aspect of Charles Manson was that he, he really, I mean, uh, he never really got his hands dirty, never as dirty as he had convinced his followers, you know? And so that kind of is, is what's interesting is that's, you know, where did his intention 
like where did it end you know like did where did it start and where did it end because like the whole thing is that you know he he listened to the Beatles Helter Skelter misinterpreted it uh said that you know no this is I'm gonna create a race war and that's gonna be that but at what point did that happen before you know whereas before was he like I just want to convince people that I am great you know that I am something that I am somebody who can control them somebody who can manipulate them like you know and and that comes again to you know where where the intent falls because was was it something malicious you know was he I mean drugs were heavily involved obviously but like you know how where can we figure out where the self-awareness of like the manipulations begin like how aware was he that he was manipulating people and you know these these victims beyond the actual murdered victims you know because obviously he preyed on people and and he convinced them to join him and come with them and and all of this was it just for fun to see what could happen because I feel kind of like you know and, and please don't come at me because this is strictly my opinion but I feel like L. Ron Hubbard kind of did it just to kind of see what could happen you know um just to kind of kind of see how he could manipulate people well he wanted to get rich exactly that was his point he says if you want to get rich you start a religion yeah right and you know so then L. Ron Hubbard, he would obviously fall more closer, you know, into that MLM. But, you know, it's just, I don't know, like, mm-hmm. there's so many fine, super fine lines. And I think that's, you know, coming back to that horror aspect, because to, to re- you know, really, all of everything we're talking about kind of falls into one in, one in the same, Right. I think that's not what the real question here is how far this manipulator and how they come about and how they think and how they wish things to come about. I think what the real spooky thing behind this is, is where's the line between somebody who can actually be manipulated to that point? But I think that's that's everybody. You know, I think because we all are constantly looking for answers you know and and you're a prime example because you're constantly asking questions you're constantly like searching for why do you think things are like this why why do you think this is the way we've been taught you know and you're looking for answers. I'm always looking for answers. Okay, so then obviously if somebody comes to you and says, I have the answer, and then that's all that takes. If yeah, if I'm vulnerable enough, if you know if 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 I'm genuinely feeling that lost, you know, then yeah. And I think that so you ob- know obviously they know that then so they know that people are consistently searching for these things so then they in their own mind are like okay so these people are searching for this meaning so you know what if that's what people want i'm gonna give it to them exactly so that's a cult leader who's gonna think like that but also a self-help guru 
because they're going to write this book and they're going to say there are people who are going to want to read this. Right? Oh, yeah. So it's that's what I mean. Like, it is one and the same. And, you know, to really kind of, I guess, uh, I don't want to say summarize, but to an analogize uh, The Walking Dead, you know, in, in a fictional take, you know, if you look at... Look, if you've watched or read The Walking Dead, there are so many groups. You know, obviously we've been following one group. But then there's other communities. And, like, uh, going back quite a while to, like, Negan's storyline. Negan was almost cult-like. Because, you know, look at all these people. We are Negan. I am Negan. Blah, 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 blah. And they enacted, quote unquote, violence in the name of Negan. So that's kind of cult-like, right? But why wouldn't the, uh, any of the other groups kind of be the same? The, the trash heap people, I can't remember their names. You know, they all lived this very certain specific way with, with these beliefs, and then, you know, you you also have the Whispers, our most recent, you know, group in the show, but also from the, the comics. And the Whisperers, their entire logic, as led by Alpha and Beta, the leaders, uh, was to uh, kind of completely adapt to... The dead walking the earth, right? Like their whole thing was uh, this this belief system that, you know, we're returning to, I guess you could call it like the or- organicness of, of the world. And um, that was their whole thing. And then, spoiler alert, when... I'll try to keep this kind of remotely spoiler free. The leader uh, is no longer there. And then you have the follow-up person in charge who then their entire direction shifts and it just becomes like that person then is is on a more uh, like metaphysical level in their belief system. And, you know, it's interesting just because and the, the whole reason I'm analogizing the fictional show The Walking Dead is because I think it kind of really mirrors this concept of cults and cult-like behavior because what are they all trying to do at their core? Survive. And that's what we're all trying to do, right? Mm -hmm. And the problem is sometimes those lines kind of blur. And I mean... I don't know. Like I said, this is a whole rabbit hole. Yeah, but I, I feel that you can analyze The Walking Dead in such a large way, you know, um, whether or not you had these cult-like behaviors within those groups. Um, you have these cult-like behaviors within our own society oh, and everything yeah. like that. Um, but you can overanalyze The Walking Dead Whereas very much so you can overanalyze much of anything else, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, I don't know if it is the proper line to 
state whether or not somebody has the intent, you know, to to accomplish harm. And there are people out there to that have that intent, um, but they're very far in between. I think mm-hmm. you know because, as you said, we're all just trying to get on. Yeah. Right. And then that's how you are able to control such a large population. And that's what I meant about, you know, like we're all trying to survive. You know, that's why people are going to kind of adhere to them. Right. Right. All right. So I don't know. I just this was like kind of itching at my head for the past couple of days. And I, I thought it was just kind of an interesting uh, theory, you know, to to kind of rain us in at the, the end of October um kind of a spooky discussion about reality because I don't know about you guys and if you've been listening you know I have been on this adventure <laughs> trying to find something that that scares me um watching all all sorts of horror movies in fact uh there was a study that was released uh I think like last week or something and it was uh they had analyzed the scariest film based off of heartbeats per minute. And they measured, you know, so many hundreds of people's heart rates during these films. And the number one movie was Sinister. And I remember I had seen it when it came out. Um, and unfortunately, like, I just didn't really remember it, mainly because I, I watched so so much stuff that like stuff just kind of like bleeds into itself and you know it was you know <laughs> like just nothing worked so um and I think it's just because I want to be scared so bad um but uh that being said I think when you're kind of looking for that 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 jump or you know that that like just to be kind of kind of petrified in the moment because of a movie um or story or whatever, uh, we kind of forget that there are these real horrors out there. And that's kind of why I just wanted to kind of bring this up because I thought it would just be like a fun little discussion about something that is very real and has probably in some way or another touched all of our lives if we go off of any of the theories we kind of breached. So that's my my uh, takeaway from this episode so that being said any final thought (laughs) (laughs) send us home all right so uh you can visit us at www.theworldofmyth.com uh you can uh kick up a conversation about cults cult-like behaviors how society is a cult i don't know uh facebook and twitter uh just on on the world of myth bits podcast in the world of myth magazine and also on Instagram at the world of myth bits. Um, yeah. And next week we're going to come back with uh, our review of the Halloween episode or a Halloween issue, which I am so excited about. And um, yeah. Yeah. But story in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we can't be uh, biased. Watch out. On that. <laughs> Thanks for listening. All right, guys. Bye. The World of Myth Bits. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, say hi!